Thank you for taking time to listen to this week's message from Horizon West Church. You can find even more content, including video archives of this and other past messages at horizonwestchurch.com. And if you're in the Horizon West area, be sure to visit us sometime soon. Now enjoy this podcast from Horizon West Church. morning. Welcome to Horizon West Church. Hey, can y'all help me thank Roberto and Christy Bruno for being here this morning. Roberto and Christy uh, serve as worship pastors at Resonate Church in the Bay Area, West Coast, but long before that, they served alongside of me at First Orlando at our John Young campus uh, on the other side of town. And uh, normally we don't talk about Bruno. Yeah, it's not, not funny the first or second service. Uh, but today we are, we want to celebrate uh, them being here, being with us. We've got actually several people who have moved away, who are back on, on tech, on team, uh, Jeremiah on keys. Good to have you guys all back. Um, and so roller coaster of emotions this week um, with anticipation of Sunday. Excited to see old faces coming back. Excited to see what God would do this morning. Good to see you, Priscilla. But also watching the news <laughs> and seeing that our world is in disarray and chaos. For Nikki and I, uh, watching what's going on in Ukraine um, is not just seeing the news stories that are coming out of that, but watching the personal stories of two young women who were part of our college ministry 10 years ago, who came to America with the Disney College program from Ukraine, went back to Ukraine afterward, are married and raising children there and part of churches there. And we're watching their story of being on the run, of leaving Kiev, heading west and, and seeking shelter and refuge. We sang a song just a moment ago that says, I put my trust in Jesus, my anchor to the ground, my hope and sure foundation, he's never let me down. And for our brothers and sisters in Ukraine, that is the hope they're holding on to. There's no assurance that things will remain the same, no assurance that they will live to see another day, but one thing they know for sure, their hope, their anchor is Jesus. One of the videos that Anya, one of the girls posted was a video of them before they fled in an apartment building with some of their church community. Some of those church people are Russian and some are Ukrainian, but they were lifting their voices together to worship the one thing they have in common, which is Jesus. He is our anchor. He's our hope. He's our sure foundation. And what I want to do today is just start our time, start the message portion of the time before we get there by praying for the people of Ukraine. And I'm going to give you some prompts. Uh, If you would just kind of close your eyes and go before the Lord, I'm going to give you some prompts and give you 10 or 15 seconds just to voice a prayer for each of these things. And then I'll give us uh, a voice, a prayer at the end of this. But would you close your eyes, join me in prayer. And would you begin by praying for peace in Ukraine, for an end to war there and around the world. Lord, we pray for peace. Would you pray for an end to the insanity of leaders who are drunk with greed and power and deception, that God would break and change their hearts or bring them to an end? Would you pray for the church in Ukraine, for our brothers and sisters like Anya, Victoria, and hundreds of thousands of others? 
who have no other place to find peace right now than in the person of Jesus, would you pray for them? Would you pray that their faith would remain strong? And God, from the other side of the world, we're lifting up our hearts, we're lifting up our voice to say, Lord Jesus, would you bring peace where there is none? Would you bring hope where that light has gone dim? God, would you take what the enemy means for evil and use it for good, that even in the chaos of what is, you would birth your kingdom and that people would come to know you and that the gospel would resonate from the believers in Ukraine around the world. May they be that city on a hill. And Lord, would you protect them? Would you be their strong shelter and their refuge? In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you for joining your hearts with mine in prayer. And I want to encourage you, I want to implore you throughout the coming days and perhaps weeks to remember the people of Ukraine and pray for their protection. You know, one of the things about being connected to a local church is that we are participating with people all over the world who at least once a week or maybe multiple times a week, depending on the culture, come together to worship, to sit under the teaching of the word. And so even though we only see what we see here on a Sunday morning, we're part of something much, much bigger. And not only something that's connected across the world, but something that's connected across the ages. When we look in the New Testament, which we're going to do in just a moment, and we see what the churches were going through, there's a direct line. Those are our spiritual ancestors. And what they were learning and what God was teaching them and that what they were struggling with, Scripture says these things are for us. They're written down in Scripture so that we can learn and in some cases not make the same mistakes they made or in other cases emulate the faith that they had. And so today we're going to do just that. We're going to be in the book of 2 Corinthians. If you've got a Bible or a Bible app and you want to go there, 2 Corinthians is uh, toward the back end of the Bible. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Acts, Romans, 1st, and 2nd Corinthians. We're going to be in 2nd Corinthians. And this is a letter from the Apostle Paul to the people of Corinth. I want to start by giving you some context. And and what we're doing this week, we're going to be in the We Are series um, and and kind of continuing that. But today we're going to be in 2nd Corinthians. I want to show you where Corinth is located on a map to kind of get us oriented to it. So Athens you see there, obviously a major city then and in today's world. Corinth is less prominent a city in in our generation, in our day, but at the time it was a major, major metropolis, nearly half a million people living in Corinth in the first century, and it was very significant to the Roman Empire. In fact, it was the center of religious worship for the Greek-speaking people. Um, Now, that does not mean that these were, you know, good church people. Religion in that context was something very, very different. In fact, the way that they would worship, we would call sin, perversion, like it was bad stuff. So this is a mostly uh, Gentile-speaking community, but what happens is the gospel comes, the the, the message of hope and, and salvation in Jesus comes, and people are responding to it in droves, and churches are forming. And I don't know if you know this, but sometimes things don't change overnight. The way that they were, in large part, was the way they were continuing to be. Grace had not yet worked itself out in their lives. One person said it this way, there was a church in Corinth, but there was a lot of Corinth in the church. You get it? Like, there was a cultural stronghold there within the church, and and Paul needed to address this, and he does that. 
Because of their newness to the faith, these were all people who would have been seven years or less believers. So can you imagine in our context, imagine on a Sunday morning, if every single one of us, myself included, had been a Christian for less than seven years. What kind of things would we be struggling with? What kind of questions would we be asking? What Paul does with the the Corinthian believers, he doesn't throw a ton of theology, certainly not abstract theology on them. What he does is gives them very practical instructions about things like marriage and sex and conflict and how to do a worship service in an orderly way. So it's very, very practical as, as Paul writes to the Corinthians. And if I were to boil down all that Paul is saying in these two letters, First and Second Corinthians, to a single verse, it would be 2 Corinthians 5.17. We'll read that in just a moment. And what we're going to do is we're going to spend the rest of our time in this one verse and we're going to look at three essential aspects of conversion. Three essential aspects true for the Corinthians as they converted from paganism to, to Christianity and also essential to the conversion of people in our world today. This is what it says, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. The first essential aspect of conversion I want to share with you is the reality of conversion. And the reality of conversion is that we are new creations. Now, when you hear the word creation, it may be that, like me, your mind goes to another part of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And when God originally created the world, at the end of every day, he says the same thing. Three letters. It is good. So the world that God made was a good world, a world that that manifested his presence, his beauty, his glory, his goodness. In fact, when when God makes man and woman on day six, he says not just it is good, he says what? It is very good. And the reason he said it's very good is because of all creation, humanity was the one place where God projected his image and created as a reflection of his own likeness. And it took the first people all of two chapters to get from Genesis 1 to Genesis 3 where they decide, hey, we're not really down with this whole image of God thing, this whole goodness and glory of God. I'd rather eat a piece of fruit on a tree. Now, that had to be some pretty good fruit because it wasn't a steak, and that's what I would be going for. But nonetheless, you know the story. They take, they eat of the fruit, and immediately sin enters the world. And before you go blaming Adam and Eve, Romans 3.23 tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Which means that if you were in the garden in Genesis 3, you too would have taken the fruit. And in a very real way, all of us have done that. We have have chosen the fruit of sin over the fruit of righteousness. We all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. And what happened when when this, this took place, when sin entered the world, is that what God had created to be our natural instincts and impulses to do good were corrupted. And from Genesis 3 on, every man, woman, and child that entered the world now had natural instincts and impulses not to do good, but to do evil. I can illustrate this for you if you're raising children or have raised them. You didn't have to teach your child to lie. You had to teach him how to tell the truth. You didn't have to teach your child to hit. You had to tell your child, our hands are for helping, not hitting. 
You didn't have to teach your child to snatch things that weren't theirs. They did it by nature. You had to teach them to share. So because of sin, what comes most naturally to our instincts and impulses now is to sin more. And yet as new creations, God is reforming us in his image to recover the God-given impulse to do good and to glorify him. After conversion itself, which is the most important thing, if you're trying to rehabilitate your life, trying to reform your life, improve your life, you, you will not make it very far because the issue is inside of you. The issue is sin living on the throne of your heart. So what conversion does is it makes you a new creation and like a new child, you now have the ability to, to breathe and over time to eat and over time to speak and to walk. But some of these things happen progressively, don't they? Right, like your baby didn't come out of the womb walking. And if they did, I wanna see a video or it didn't happen, okay? Like that, they have to learn how to do it. And in the same way, this is why we believe in spiritual practices, things like prayer and Bible reading and worship and living in community. They teach us how to recover what should be our natural impulses to do good and to glorify God. And so every day, those of us who are new creations have a choice. We choose between what feels most natural and what is most natural. The most natural thing in the world for you, if you're a follower of Jesus, is to do good and glorify God. But you still have this, this old nature that's kind of kicking at you, and sometimes you're going to do what feels natural, but what happens is immediately or over time you go, wait, but that doesn't feel natural anymore. Now I feel guilty. Why do I feel guilty? I didn't used to feel guilty when I did that. Why am I replaying this in my mind? That's the conviction of the Holy Spirit. That's evidence of new creation, learning to recover our natural impulse to glorify God. Now, interestingly, if you were to go back to the original language, Greek, the verse sounds like this. If anyone is in Christ, new creation. The words that are not in the Greek are the words he is. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. And we supply that because we think that's what Paul's saying. If anyone's in Christ, that person is a new creation. But there are some who would say, yes, and... What Paul's getting at is, if anyone is in Christ, new creation, meaning wherever new creations go, new creation happens. Like, as the new creative work of the gospel takes root in our hearts, when we show up in our neighborhoods, at our HOA meetings, at our workplaces, in our families, new creation is happening. Because it's happening around us and not only within us. This is why we value both personal transformation the individual conversion of souls, and also social transformation. The two go hand in hand. They are not separate from each other. So first we see the reality of conversion, new creation. Secondly, we see the result of conversion. And the result of conversion is that the old has passed away and the new has come. The new has come. Going back again to the Greek, if you were to look at that word old in Greek, it's the word archaea. Does that sound like a word in English? It's not arcades. It's a different one, archaic. Paul says, what is archaic has passed away. That's very interesting. Because in our context, we, we are conditioned to think that everything that's new, everything that's progressive is good, is right. And Paul says, no, no, no. Those things that our culture is saying, this is new, this is cutting edge, this, he's saying that's archaic. 
to, to think these ways, to relate with people in these ways, to push certain kinds of agendas or ideas that, that are godless. This isn't new and cutting edge. This is archaic. This is the way of the old nature. This is the way that has passed away. I know some of you did not, uh, were not born in or did not grow up in America, but in America we're having this political debate between conservatism and progressivism. And in a nutshell, conservatives kind of want to hold on to what is. Go, man, we're going we're to resist change because we see a lot changing that's not good, and so we're going to kind of hold the fort, we're going to conserve. And progressives go, no, no, man, there's still a lot that's not good. We need to change it. We need to make it better. We need to, we need to progress. And the answer for Christians is the goal is not to be conservative or progressive, but to be biblical. That there are ways that we've run ahead of God. We're going, man, that's godlessness. That, that, the Bible condemns that. We can't, we can't join with that. And there's other ways that the kingdom of God is bursting forth and change is happening. And there's a tendency to want to resist and put it all together. Like, no, no, we, no there's ways we need to grow. There's ways we need to hold the line. Progress and conservatism. And, and, and C.S. Lewis, in his book, Mere Christianity, he illustrates this same concept nearly 100 years ago. And speaking about the idea of progressivism, he said, if you are going 80 miles an hour down the highway, or he probably said kilometers because he's British, but nonetheless, I don't know what that is. He said, if you're going 80 miles an hour down the highway in the wrong direction, it's not progress. Right? Like, like just moving forward doesn't mean we're making progress. If we're going the wrong way, we need to stop, turn the car around, and go the right way. Because 20 miles an hour in the right direction is more progress than 80 miles an hour the wrong way. Now again, looking at 2 Corinthians 5.17, when Paul says the old has passed away, the new has come, it's very interesting to me the tense that he puts on this. He uses the past tense, which is a little surprising because we tend to think of it differently, don't we? We we tend to think in either future tense or present tense. Here's what I mean. I tend to think the old will pass away and the new will come when I'm in heaven. Or the old is passing away, the new is coming, like there's this transition happening in the present. Paul says, actually, the old has already passed away and the new has already come. This is already completed. When Jesus said on the cross, it is finished, he didn't say it will be or it is finishing. He said it's done. The blood of Jesus covers sin. And when that grace is applied through faith to my heart, the work is done. The old has passed away and the new has come. He said, Chris, I'm not sure if that's true for me because I still sin. Well, join the club, so do I. The problem is sometimes we are deceived into operating in what has already died. We're deceived into trying to recover something that has already been dealt with and we bring it in and we go, I'm going to operate in the old way of life. That's a dead way of life. That is not who you are anymore. You are a new creation in Christ. The old has passed away and the new has come. In other words, when Jesus died on the cross and when you put your faith in him, your trust in him as savior, a change happened, a real, a real change happened. You immediately had access and have access to everything that is in Christ. Hope, redemption, forgiveness, grace, life, abundant, all of it. And over time, you're becoming more and more and more like Jesus. Some have described this as an already but not yet reality. Already but not yet. I'm already a new creation. 
Already the old has passed away, the new has come. And yet, I don't always operate in that reality. Because as long as I'm on this earth, I'm going to have this struggle between old and new, between dead and alive. And every day I'm going to have to choose between one or the other. But over time, if I'm truly saved, if I'm truly a new creation, over time, I will see progress in my life spiritually. I'm not doing the things I was doing six months ago, six years ago, 30 years ago. It's change. I want to be real practical in what I mean by this. I don't today, when I'm online, go to the same websites that I went to 10 or 20 years ago. You understand what I'm saying? Like, it's not that I can't go back there. It's not that I don't know how to find them. It's that God is doing a work in my heart in the metamorphosis of change and transformation that what used to feel like it was impossible to avoid now rarely comes to mind. You go, wow, like that can happen. Yes, that can happen. There were times when I can remember as a younger man going, I don't know how I can live the rest of my life with clean eyes. Like I don't know how I can avoid all the pitfalls out. It feels impossible. It doesn't feel impossible anymore. You know why? Because the new creation is taking hold and because I'm learning to walk in the spiritual practices of meditation and prayer and community and transparency and life. And that's the beauty of the good news, that new creation taking place. So new creation is really nothing more than to become fully human as God originally intended us to be. I'm not saying that that you need to become something you're not. I'm saying you need to become what you were created to be. God didn't create you to be an angel. Just sit on harps and, no, not sit on harps, sit on clouds and play harps, right? By the way, I don't think angels do that. I don't know where we got that concept. He didn't create you to be something better than human. He didn't create you to be an animal and just live by impulse. And when you feel an urge, you act on it. He created you to be human. Jesus was human. He showed us the way to be fully human. That's what God desires for you. And when you get to heaven one day, if you're saved, you're not going to turn into, you're going to be human. You are going to be a fully redeemed, new creation, human being living in the presence and the glory of God and other people. That's what it is. It's a childlike illustration, but I think it's the best that's out there. We know in nature this process of metamorphosis can happen. We see it in the process of a caterpillar becoming a butterfly, right? I think we have a really pretty picture to to, to show there, yeah. It's just better to look at that. This is what happens. You know, if you're older than three or four years old, you probably know the process or you understand something of the process of a caterpillar becoming a butterfly, right? A change happens. It becomes a whole new creature, and yet it's the same. And and if I were to see a butterfly limping along the grass, I'm going to assume that something's wrong with the butterfly, right? Because it's not a caterpillar anymore. It's a whole different thing. It has wings. It has has the ability to be a butterfly. Why is it limping on the ground? Now, uh, let me also say, if you are still a caterpillar, I'm glad that you're here. I really genuinely am. I don't go into my backyard and, and pick out all the caterpillars and throw them away because they're not pretty butterflies. I wait and let nature do its thing, okay? But along the way, I, I want to challenge you. I want to ask you the question, have you had an experience that has transformed you from what you were to what you are becoming, what you were created to be? That brings me to my third and final uh, point of the morning of the essential aspects of conversion. Number three, the condition of conversion. Again, in the same verse, 2 Corinthians 5.17, it starts this way. 
if anyone is in Christ. Let me ask you a question. This is actual participation. You're supposed to answer this. What is the most basic difference between a caterpillar and a butterfly? What'd you say? One flies. Okay, something else. Transformation. You know the most basic difference? Because if a caterpillar had the ability to, they could go rent a pair of wings and get some duct tape and put wings on their back, right? Doesn't make them a butterfly. They, they could maybe get a, a leaf that has some width to it and jump out of a tree and kind of float to the ground. Doesn't make them a butterfly. You know the difference between a, a caterpillar and a butterfly? It's a stage of transformation called chrysalis. It's when they go into that cocoon and they wait there until the transformation is complete and they come out of that as something different than they were. What Paul is saying in 2 Corinthians 5.17 is if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. If you have gotten into the cocoon, if you have submitted yourself to the process of chrysalis, meaning faith and, and salvation by grace, then you are a new creation. And there's no other way to get there. There's no other way to get around it. A caterpillar does not come, become a butterfly until it goes through the process of chrysalis. And Paul says the chrysalis for the human heart is to be in Christ. This expression, those two words in Christ, are Paul's favorite expression to use. Over 70 times in the New Testament, Paul says, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. One example, Romans 8, 1, therefore there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And what in Christ means is that those of us who are followers of Jesus have experienced in the spiritual what Jesus himself experienced in the physical. Jesus physically died on a physical cross to pay the penalty for sin. We die to sin spiritually. Three days later, Jesus was raised in his physical body and walked out of a physical tomb, and we are endowed with the Holy Spirit, resurrection power to replace the old life with something new. And Jesus, on the 40th day, ascended to the right hand of the Father, and we, hang on, do we do that? Look with me at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 6. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with Christ in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. What in the world, Paul? I didn't wake up in heaven today, did you? Paul says, no, but spiritually that's already happened. You were dead. You're dead to sin. You're raised to new life. Paul said, I'm crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Dead, resurrected, and seated with Christ in the heavenly places. It's an already but not yet reality. And friends, this should change the way we think. Change the way we speak and act and relate with people. We're not little caterpillars crawling around in, in the dirt. We have been made a new creation. There are new realities available to us, and we live in a different way because we are in Christ. Now, what is embedded here in uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17 is what's called a conditional statement. Most of you probably know what this means, but conditional statements are if-then clauses. So, for instance, um, if I 
looked like Kristen Beston, I might be able to bench press 100 more pounds. Is that probably right? Okay, I'm 175. What are you? Yeah, that's true. I wouldn't need to, yeah, I'd be bald. All right. We tried a different illustration earlier. It didn't work as well. Although that didn't work well either. If, if, if this is true, then also that is true. And the, the issue with conditional statements is the opposite is also inferred. If not, then what? Not. So if I am not in Christ, then I am not yet a new creation. It's a conditional statement. Now, in Jesus' day, the Jewish religious leaders had a whole bunch of conditions they would put on people. They'd say, like, you know, you can be a, a child of God, but you, it helps if you're a Jew. If you're not a Jew, you at least have to be circumcised. Once you're circumcised, you have to observe the law. You've got to go do the temple rituals. You've got to meet for Sabbath, do all the things. Jesus did not obliterate conditions. He just reduced them down to one. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. You go, Jesus, you mean even those, those terrible tax collectors? Yes. Yes, if they followed me. You, you mean the prostitutes? You, you mean the, 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 the adulterers? Yes, if they're followers of Christ. You mean the Gentiles, the pagans? Yes. It doesn't matter what your morality is. It doesn't matter what your biology is. Like, like if you are in Christ, you are a new creation. That is the only condition that exists. By the way, the most beloved verse in all of the Bible has a conditional statement right in the heart of it. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. If then and if not, then not. Meaning, whoever does not believe will perish. Man, that sounds harsh. Nothing in our world's telling us this, guys. This is, this is a, we live in a post-Christian society that goes, man, don't make exclusions. Don't draw lines. Don't. Jesus loved people. Yes, Jesus loved people, and he told them the truth. The way to faith, the way to salvation, the way to eternal life is in Christ, and it is the only way. I want to close with this. I imagine Paul writing to the Corinthian church and envisioning the transformation that was happening. And like a, a father with his children, he's writing to encourage them and to help them and to sort their issues out for them. And that same pastoral sense is present as I look around the room this morning because I see a room that's filled with new creations. I see a young couple who was married and then divorced. And last year, they were remarried to each other in my living room at home. I see a woman who came to faith in 2018 when Horizon West Church was just being formed. And she's now being made to choose between her husband or Jesus, and she's choosing Jesus. I see a single mom who, along with her three children, has faced every imaginable challenge in the last couple of years, and she remains faithful. I see a woman who was an atheist, didn't even believe in God. And through a member of Horizon West Church, came to faith here, was baptized here last year. I see men and women and young people at our Celebrate Recovery gatherings on Monday night, getting their chip for 30 days or 60 days or 90 days, sober, free, clean, getting out of addiction, walking out of bondage and into freedom and hope and healing. And every day when I look in the mirror, I see a pastor who at one point in his life thought he could never be free from the chains of pornography. And now I say, yes, I can, and yes, I will. New creation. It's what's possible. 
It's what's available to you. And if you're here in the room and you go, Chris, I don't think I've ever had that experience. I don't know that I've ever really placed my faith in Christ. I have not seen this transformation happening. I would love to invite you to come. In just a moment, we're gonna sing a song. The song is called, This Is Jesus. And if you need to respond in faith for the first time, I wanna invite you to come and do that. We'll have some of our team leaders come to the front at this time. And it may be for some of you that it's not a first-time response, but you would say, hey, I'm operating in the old and the dead, and I want to walk out of that, and I want to walk in the new. We would love to pray for you as well. So team, if you would come forward, those of you that are in the room, worship team, would you lead us in a song? And let's all stand together as we sing and as we worship. Thanks again for listening to the Horizon West Church Podcast. If you were inspired or encouraged by something you heard today, share it with a friend. For more information like our service time, location, and other info, be sure to visit us online at horizonwestchurch.com. Have a great week.